This mid-20th century is Africa's. This decade is the decade of African independence. Forward then to independence, to independence now. Tomorrow, the United States of Africa. Before I get into today's episode, I highly recommend listening to my previous episodes if you have not already. It will give you some important background knowledge relating to today's topic. Today, part two of the Hungry African Child origin story. Also, just a side note here, this episode did take a lot out of me, so I may or may not go off on a tangent mid-script, so please, bear with me. If you type in Hungry African Children in your browser, you may get some interesting results. My search engine algorithm gave me results like why are there so many hungry African children in Africa? And I didn't know there were cities in Africa. But my favorite, sponsor an African child today. That is what I aim to focus on in today's episode. At what moment did Africa become associated with hungry children? And why is that the majority of what mainstream media talks about? To pinpoint the origin story, we must rewind a few decades and take a look at two events on opposite ends of the continent the Nigerian Civil War, and the famine in Ethiopia. To follow chronological order, let's take a brief look at Nigeria first. Now, in my last episode, I went into some details about how complex wars in Africa are. The Nigerian Civil War was no different. Perhaps the most shocking aspect of the war to the West was the immense suffering of the people who were under a blockade by the Nigerian government and its allies. This blockade resulted in a stark lack of food for Biafra, resulting in a full-blown famine. Combine this with the emerging mainstream media coverage of war like in Vietnam, and boom. The world is introduced to African conflict. From the comfort of a living room in suburban America or Britain, the West's middle class was subjected to the imagery of starving malnourished children crowding around a small sack of grain. The extended bellies, ribs showing, dead babies on the road. All images which the middle class are still bombarded with to this day. The Ethiopian famine, which occurred in the 1980s, had the same effect. However, new, higher definition cameras were used to capture the suffering of the people. Hungry mothers trying to feed their near-dead babies, dusty fields where crops once thrived, aid groups handing out packages to begging so-called villagers. Again, all images which we still see to this day. But Nate, you may be wondering, we all know this. Why are we still talking about it? Well, Marafiki, there is another side to these images. The ones capturing said images, the ones editing such images, and more importantly, the ones distributing such images. If you turn on CBC, CNN, BBC, Al Jazeera, or God forbid Fox News to this day, what do you see? COVID wards overrun, Zionists committing genocide in Palestine, and more and more lockdowns, poverty, war, hunger, death, and all those nasty things. Why? Why don't we see good news on TV? News that makes us happy about our lives. Well, it may come as no surprise, but media giants profit from suffering. Bad news means profit for media conglomerations. This is largely due to viewership increasing when tragedy takes place, just like in Biafra and Ethiopia. Tragedy took place and the news made money. But it goes deeper than that. Now, this is just an idea I gathered from my extensive research on this topic. 
my countless hours sifting through peer-reviewed journals, forum posts, documentaries, news articles, I had what could be called a eureka moment. What if, now this is just an idea, what if these major news companies are partly responsible for the seemingly perpetual suffering of the people in the motherland and around the world? What if these profits are so great that these for-profit businesses need this suffering to continue to maintain the extravagant lifestyles of their CEOs. Side note here, I also read in a journal article some time back that the primary media giants covering many African tragedies, mainly Fox and Warner Media, they own CNN by the way, have pushed such obvious political agendas that they both have extremely large overarching effects in African politics. To the point where that these news giants say can determine whether weapons are shipped to support some rebel group or military government. These news agencies have also played a huge role in the assassination of Colonel Gaddafi and the ensuing Libyan civil war. Okay, let's talk about so-called charities. When you think about charities in Africa, three major ones come to mind. Feed the Children, World Vision, and UNICEF. Now, to be completely honest, UNICEF is not necessarily a charity. I mean, neither is World Vision, but UNICEF is an arm of the UN, which is both a blessing and a curse on the African continent. So, I will not be delving too much into UNICEF. So, I am replacing them with the charity known as Invisible Children, the masterminds behind the scam known as Coney 2012. But, I will get to that in a bit. So, we have Feed the Children, World Vision, and Invisible Children three major players in the hungry African child trope. In fact, it goes beyond that. It's more of a hungry, darker-skinned child trope. These charities are primarily active in countries where the majority of the population is not white, and they use these non-white children to advance their own separate agendas. Let's begin with me tearing apart Feed the Children. <laughs> After this, I hope any of you who support or may support these groups will rethink your donations. As someone who works in the financial industry and enjoys picking apart numbers, the first thing I look for in these charities are their financial statements. Now, I will not go too deep into them as I'm sure most of you are not here to learn about economics and accounting, but it's still important to know where your money is going. Now, it's crucial to understand that Feed the Children is a non-profit organization, which according to US law means, quote, any revenues that exceed expenses must be committed to the organization's purpose, not taken by private parties. End quote. This status can easily be seen as nothing but a false statement to dodge tax simply by going through their public financial statements over the past few years. When you open Feed the Children statements, you are immediately greeted with smiling children or one individual smiling child, which is nice, I guess. The biggest issue with these statements is the bombardment of useless, meaningless infographics. As a donor, it's very encouraging. However, as a skeptic, it's a major red flag. The lack of clear and concise public financial reporting is a sign that there is something clearly wrong. That something wrong appears after some brief scrolling beyond the happy kids and white volunteers. Now, why is this an issue? Well, donating to a charity is a great way to get tax breaks. Even I'm guilty of this. Every month I donate some 50-ish dollars to the Sick Kids Children Hospital in Toronto. 
at the end of the year, I get a nice thick bonus to my tax refund because of my donations. Now, my $50 a month makes a difference for me. Imagine what millions per month will do for a corporation or high net worth individual. In the 2016 report, PepsiCo is featured on the corporate sponsor page, a company which makes over $70 billion per year in revenue with over 267,000 employees worldwide. In an ideal world, each employee should then make over $250,000 a year. But, of course, we are not in an ideal world. But the underpayment of its workers is not an issue, or not the issue we are talking about today. PepsiCo, one of Feed the Children's biggest sponsors, owns some brands which have done major disservice to the marginalization of communities in Africa, which Feed the Children claims to then aid. For example, PepsiCo owns Aunt Jemima. No need to explain how messed up Aunt Jemima is and its branding. PepsiCo also owns Aquafina, a major bottled water company. Now, bottled water in itself is a messed up uh, a scheme. Selling a resource which all living things need to survive is, is like late stage capitalism at its worst. However, we do not necessarily want to take time to think where the, uh, where the water comes from. Aquafina has admitted to simply using some, the, uh, some of the same water which comes out of our taps, and it sells it for nearly 2,000 times more than the average consumer would pay for it. Now, this information you can find easily just by Googling where does Aquafina get its water from. There are hundreds and hundreds of articles about this, and that number 2,000 times more is, is, is a known fact. In fact, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Aquafina actually admitted to this in a report, I think, from 2012 or 2013. I forget the exact year. Anyways, so PepsiCo, the owner of Aquafina, donates more and more money and other products to feed the children, including Aquafina water. The value of these products is often listed at wholesale price, which is then totaled and taxed as a charitable donation. Now, this charitable donation is basically a tax refund for big companies like uh, PepsiCo. The Aquafina is then shipped to communities all around the world, from Flint, Michigan to Goma and Congo, by Feed the Children, and given to those who do not have access to free, they actually basically get paid to advertise uh, uh, um, this kind of stuff. Now, let me go back here. Um, but yeah, Feed the Children gives this water to those who do not have access to free, clean water. What does this basically provide PepsiCo? Well, like I said just now, it provides them with free advertising. Not even free, but they actually get paid to advertise to the world's most vulnerable because of the tax refund, so it results in more profit. On top of this, many other brands who openly donate to feed the children are just as corrupt. Mars, the maker of many of our favorite chocolates, is known to use underpaid child labor to harvest cocoa beans in West Africa. Almost every brand which donates to feed the children does not donate for the sake of doing benevolent work. Rather, they donate for good PR and tax cuts. In essence, they donate for a profit. However, donation for profit is not the only issue. Sometimes, in fact way too many times, religious objectives are used as the driving force behind these charities. World Vision is technically not even a charity. Rather, it's a church founded by a reverend in 1950. That alone, Marafiki, is a major red flag. In all colonized places, the church has been a wolf in sheep's clothing. Now, due to the phenomena of what is known as white guilt, 
churches led mainly by wealthy white men have created charities to not just reconcile the past but to continue the messed up idea the messed up idea of pressuring people into christianity but that that is for another episode forced conversion to christianity has been a tool of ethnic cleansing in africa and around the world i mean look at the residential schools in canada great lovely canada using the the church as justification to ethnic cleansing similar institutions were set up throughout the continent of africa but back to world vision now world vision has a truly global presence well kind of all of its head offices are in the global north, otherwise known as the developed world. Its field offices are all in the global south, otherwise known as the developing world. The field offices are clustered in Central America, the Middle East, Southeast Asia, and spread out in all corners of Africa. Now, being one of the most well-known global aid organizations, World Vision is mainly known for one thing, the Child Sponsorship Program, as well as its Child Rescue Program. Perhaps no group benefits more from hungry African children than World Vision. Now, here's where I'm going to go on off script a little bit. Now, World Vision's child sponsorship program I'm very familiar with as I know people that are very close with me who have uh, utilized this program as a way of donating to Africa, I guess you can say. Now, there is a major, major issue I have that I've witnessed personally from, you know, again, witnessing these donations um, take place. And that is basically these photos and letters that World Vision sends you from the supposed child back in whatever country in Africa. Now, these letters are supposed to come to you regularly, however, they don't. So, for example, you can child, uh, um, sponsor a child who could be, let's just say, six years old. You get a letter which looks like it, it's written by a six-year-old. You get a photo of a six-year-old. And then you wouldn't hear back from World Vision until maybe five years later. So now the child is 11, right? You get a photo of a child who looks the exact same age, six years old, and writes the exact same way. But however, the child is supposedly 11 years old. Now, how is this possible? When someone is six and someone is 11, they generally look very different. Now, this is World Vision sort of drip feeding you information slowly to encourage you to donate more. The more you donate, the more you hear back. This is almost like a pay-to-win sort of scheme. The more you pay into a game, let's say like uh, Fortnite, right? Fortnite's pay-to-win, right? Fortnite, you pay money, you get better weapons, therefore you win more. World Vision, you pay more, you get more letters. And these letters, listen, they're quite emotional, they're quite amazing to read. So, of course, you're going to want to get more of these letters. However, these letters, in my opinion, are almost never written by the child himself or herself or itself right these letters are a basically pr stunt for world vision to get you and, and to make you more enticed to donate and, and, and donate items and money to these children in fact people i know have donated items to these children and in the photos which uh have come afterwards these children are not using or wearing or um, in, in any way associated with the items which we have or you have donated to these children. So, in essence, World Vision, very sketchy. And you're about to hear why they're even more sketchy than I just let on. Now, here is where it gets really crazy. And in fact, this is the part where I started to get really, I guess you can say, pissed off at everything that's going on. See, groups like World Vision and others like it are heavily associated with adoption programs. 
These adoption programs allow those in the West to adopt children from so-called poorer countries, especially in Latin America, Southeast Asia, and Africa. However, almost every single one of these adoption programs has a very brutal and saddening dark side to them. Basically, everything I have been talking about in my last episode on this one has led up to this point in time. We now know why Africa is the way it is, we now know who is responsible to some extent, and now we need to understand the on-ground impact. The most vulnerable demographic worldwide are children. That is probably one of the only things that everyone in the world can agree on. Children are the most prone to exploitation. When Western countries infiltrate countries in Africa, poverty is an inevitable byproduct, and one that the perpetrators of this know all too well about. The thing is, Marafiki, human trafficking and so-called charitable adoption are heavily linked. Not just in Africa, but in every part of the world which these charities operate. No charity is exempt from this. It's no hidden fact that children are more likely to become orphans in poorer countries. This can be due to many factors such as poorer healthcare, work accidents, war, and so on. All of these issues, which cause parents to die or abandon the children, are forced upon these countries by capitalist greed. Anyways, many charities use orphanages as a source for the children, which they want adopted. However, these orphanages are extremely underfunded and under-resourced. This is not surprisingly a major factor leading to appalling levels of corruption. Corruption which results in kidnapping and selling of children. In some cases, orphanages and charities will literally buy children from their parents. Again, these are well-documented cases, and you can find tons of examples from Cambodia to, to, to Mexico to the Congo, all over the world. You find charities or so-called charities or orphanages paying families upwards of 3000 US dollars for their children. Again, this happens all around the world, from Cambodia to Ethiopia. See, orphanages are a great way to look good in public. That is why the world's financial elite seems so obsessed with orphans. Look at all of the celebrities who adopt kids, not out of the goodness of their hearts, but for the good of PR. Good PR means more business, which means more money, which means more incentive to adopt. And, and, and again, this is, is so well known. I mean, look, I could name tons of celebrities off the top of my head. However, I will not because I don't want to get sued because who knows who's listening to this podcast, am I right? But it even goes as far as The Simpsons makes fun of celebrities for doing this. Like when The Simpsons makes fun of you for doing something, you know it is crazy because listen, The Simpsons don't just make fun of anybody. Anyways, good PR, good business, more money, you get the point. And who is being adopted? Well, only the children who can generate the best PR. Cute black and brown children mostly. And what about those who are not deemed adorable? Well, they're basically left to fend for themselves. Anyways, I'm going off on a tangent here and my point in all of this, the children you adopt may be a victim of kidnapping. Those adoption fees that you have to pay are little more than the same fees slave importers had to pay before selling their slaves in the new world. Think twice before you adopt from overseas. If anything, you should be adopting kids from your own neighborhoods where you can verify their stories. If you would like, actually, no, scratch that. I will still dedicate an entire episode to the human trafficking that goes on in Africa as it is an issue which I care deeply about. 
The last charity I want to rip apart is Invisible Children. Perhaps no group is worse, more corrupt, and more reliant on capitalist oppression than Invisible Children. You know, the folks who made Coney a household name, the folks who made child soldiers mainstream knowledge. You would think these people are doing the most, but in reality they are no better than any other. Now, I can assure you that you know by now Coney 2012 was basically a scam. If you don't, look it up. There are thousands of videos and thousands of articles about it. They took some obscure, insignificant warlord from Central Africa and made him into a supervillain. The reality is, there are hundreds of warlords worldwide who do much worse things than Coney. However, Coney was chosen because it would be difficult to fact check for fact-checkers to verify information on him. So in reality, Invisible Children could basically say whatever they wanted about him and get away with it. Invisible Children had such an impact that they are indirect contributors to the link between human trafficking and adoption. Believe it or not, after all the bad press surrounding Coney, Coney 2012 is still prominent on their website. Their CEO is a huge perpetuator of the hungry African child pro uh, trope and primarily shares videos and photos of war in Africa on her social media. The remainder of their board, from what I can see, is made up of rich-looking non-Africans who seem like the type of people who think Africa is a country. You know, the hipsters who buy the so-called organic coffee which is supposedly ethically grown in Ethiopia, but in reality is grown by slaves in Cambodia. You know those people. You know exactly who I'm talking about. You see them at Starbucks, you know those damn people who donate and post it online and say, look, I just donated $500 to this child in the Congo. You should do the same. I am so much better than you. Yada, 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 shut the hell up. You're an idiot. Anyways, I will not go much more into this group as just talking about them and talking about the people that support them make me want to cuss, make me want to rip my, what little hair I have left in my head out because it is crazy. In fact, I will probably talk about them another day with a guest because it could be interesting to hear me get really mad. And look, I'm not really uh, an emotional person, right? I don't really cry. I don't really get super sad when I see the news. I, I, I become almost desensitized to the tragedy taking place in the motherland that I don't really get pissed off anymore about it. All I do is like, okay, I'm going to have to be the one that initiates some change. However, when I see people like Invisible Children and the people who support them and people who work for them, it literally it is the worst thing for me. Like literally researching this episode, I will talk about it in a bit, but researching this episode took so much out of me that I, I, I literally couldn't do much more <laughs> after looking at Invisible Children. I just wanted to get it out. I, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to lose my mind if I keep looking at this stuff because, again, I will, I will get into it in a few minutes. Anyways, where was I? Yeah, I will not go much more into this because just talking about them makes me want to cuss, as you can probably tell. I will definitely go into child soldiers, though, in war in the future because that is itself, Marafiki, is a huge important topic when it comes to understanding the African continent. For now, I will say this. Invisible children perpetuate a harmful narrative in Africa which results in foreign governments treating Africa like nothing more than an unruly child who needs discipline. Okay, I have to take a breather be between recording that last part and this part because, man, that it, it's tough to talk about. It's tough to even uh, uh, read and I'm, I, I hope it's tough for you to listen to because, listen, this stuff is very serious and it, it just, it's, it's sickening almost to see. But 
Those were all of the charities which I care to analyze. Although I knew I would hate what I found out and these groups, I did my research and I did not know how angry I would literally become. Not just because of what the charities are doing, but because of the people who are obsessed with giving them money, including people who I am close to. When one sees a hungry African child on TV followed by a white woman holding up two coins with a kid in the background literally on the doorstep of death, my blood boils. The exploitation is so obvious, so plain to see. Cameras which cost tens of thousands of dollars being forcefully shoved into the faces of dying people to make us in the West feel sad. And we, can, we, we all can probably agree on this. Sadness can result in us being looser with our pocketbooks. Therefore, these charities, these businesses, really play on our human emotions. Meanwhile, if these charities sold that camera and used the funds from it, they could have such a positive impact on the very community which they chose to film instead. And the reason why they filmed this? Western dollars, my friends. On top of this, these ads portray Africa itself as sort of a hungry child in it, as, as a whole, a continent which needs saving from itself. Africa needs saving from the West, Matafiki, and not only those, and, 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 and not and only those who are tr truly willing to help Africa can initiate that. Not some fancy CEO adopting little Tunji from northern Nigeria, but individuals who can put their own greed aside for the collective success of a continent. Your donations, Marafiki, are useless. Your donations, Marafiki, are being sent to blind the pockets of the extremely wealthy around the world, which use your money to continually perpetuate the suffering of African people. More donations, more suffering. That is the trend which I want you to understand at the end of this episode. Now, this is definitely a topic which I will return to again and again and again and again. I guarantee it to you. After all, how can I, as an African, stand idly as capitalism continues to tear the motherland apart? How can anybody stand idly as capitalism tears the entire world apart? How can people use the suffering of others to push agendas and make billions of dollars? How can these people then prolong the suffering because the profit that they make from it is so great? How can these people then use religion and some other crazy kooky idea as a scapegoat? Look at the First Nations in Canada with the residential schools, the poor Americans living in the South, and the Pacific Islanders whose very home is threatened by capitalism and its perpetual pollution of the planet. Under a capitalist society, this will not only continue, but it will continue to get worse. There are more hungry people today than there were 30 years ago. Capitalism is killing us and killing the planet, and perhaps nowhere is seeing this more than Africa. And there's a saying, when Africa suffers, the world suffers. Just like when the Amazon suffers, the world suffers. When the world's poorest suffer, the world suffer. The majority of the people in the world are poor. The majority of poor people in the world are poor because of capitalism. I will go into this at a future episode when I tear apart capitalism, which is basically what I do in my day-to-day -day life. <laughs> Anyways, Marafiki, this is where I will end for today. This episode is shorter than I wanted, but as you can probably tell by now, it, it took a lot out of me, and I'm not usually an emotional person. However, I had to fight the urge to break down when seeing some of the information I found, a lot of which I chose not to include simply for the fact that I would not be able to talk about it without losing my mind. Perhaps at a future date, I will return to the subject in greater detail. For now, I want you to take in what I shared today 
and really think about it. Call out your friends and family members who blindly donate to charities. Tell them to do some research and think twice. My next episode will come out when it comes out, as you can probably guess by now, and hopefully it'll be much more relaxed and positive. In fact, I will make sure it is much more relaxed and positive. Anyway, stay safe and follow me on social media at RafikiPod. Leave a review on the podcast. Stay tuned for more episodes.